Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome. Hey, Gary. How's everybody doing this evening? Welcome to another edition of Enchanting Insights with La La. Hopefully, everybody's having a wonderful evening for a Tuesday. Hello, Denise. Hello, Catherine. Gary. So, how are you doing tonight, La La? I'm good. I'm super excited. Um, yes. So what do we have in store for tonight? We have two very special people. I I know everybody's going to love it. It's it's both worlds combined. So it's going to touch on a little bit everything freaky and abnormal, paranormal, otherworldly. I'm excited. Yes, yeah, I want to give a quick shout out to Chris Hensley. He fixed my equipment before I went live. Hello, Nicole. Hello, Denise and everybody. So we got Ronald Murphy and Bill Howard. Come on down. Welcome to the show. Yay. Nice to have you both. Hello, hello. Yeah. So introduce yourself there and uh, to everybody. You want to go first, Ron? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Ron Murphy, and I uh, I live in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, I've been uh, investigating the paranormal for about thirty years, and I've been writing about it probably for the last. I don't know, 10 years or so. So I've only been delving into this conference wise and writing about it for, for only about a decade now. So I'm kind of a newbie still uh, within this, uh, within this great uh, field of, uh, of the paranormal and the supernatural. So uh, that's about me. You know, I, I, I have a, I guess my specialty would be focused on uh, uh, the study of uh, fairy lore from around the world. And uh, I'm very interested in, uh, the idea of uh, of earth lights and intellectual uh, energies that inhabit this earth. So that's kind of my my two cents. Awesome, awesome. Nice to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Well, my name is Bill Howard. I'm a filmmaker and photographer. Um, prior to this life, uh, I've been doing this for eight years now. Prior to this life, I was an outdoors writer as well. And uh, you were talking about earth lights. I've covered the brown mountain lights. We have them here in North Carolina. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm from Eastern North Carolina. And I've uh, captured those several times. It, they're they're pretty awesome. And I've, I've actually got some stuff coming up with that. But basically what's going on right now is I've got a, a docu-series called Encounters, uh, the complete interviews. And that's where I've interviewed, um, in season one, I've interviewed five people over six episodes where we're, you know, the government submitted that there's UFOs and UAPs and otherworldly craft. Maybe there's something a little bit deeper than just UFOs and UAPs. Maybe, you know, these abductions, there may be some uh, credits to it. And that's why we did these interviews. And uh, I've also got a season two that'll be out around November or December as well. Right. See, yeah, so I agree totally. I think, uh, especially here in Western Pennsylvania, but as I'm talking to more and more researchers, even from around the world, one of the common factors in a lot of supernatural activity, unexplained activity, cryptid events, always revolve around these lights, spook lights, mystery lights, what have you. And, uh, you know, I'm just coming around to the, to the, to the fact now 
that I'm thinking that this this common denominator is often overlooked, but that may indeed be what connects all the dots together. So I, I just finished a book. It's it just been published right now. Actually, uh, Dave Spinks had published the book. It's um, entitled uh, An Inquiry into Earthlights. And uh, it looks at this phenomenon from around the world. And uh, I've been involved in several in investigations that involved, you know, Dogman, Bigfoot, UFOs, and the conclusion we came with at the end and the only kind of interaction we had was with these earth lights so that's where i'm leading right down here and i'm looking forward to looking what you've uh, produced there my friend that's really interesting i know um where i live we've seen different types of things but what they have all in common is a light mm. and it's it's really interesting um especially really the two crafts they were shaped different different months apart but they each had this huge light attached to it like a metal arm and i really want to know what this light is i, I would love to know I, I don't know how that's going to happen but hopefully one day somebody can you know what you guys are doing and, and everybody getting together it, it's interesting well that's a good point there lola so the problem is people not getting together, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the biggest crime within this field is that people gather information, and rightfully so. A lot of people are very hardworking people in this field, and they gather this information. They become very proprietary about it, and they're not sharing any of the information, which is fine, you know. But at least let a few details leak out so we're all not left in the dark. The only way we're ever going to come to any kind of conclusion and we may never get a definitive answer on any of these things, but the only time that we're ever going to be able to um, get to the bottom of at least minor mysteries is through cooperation. We have to do that. And so many people in this field want to be one camp against another camp or yeah. personality against personality. And actually, I thought about, you know, leaving this business a couple of times because I lost very good friends in this business because uh, they didn't, uh, I didn't adhere to what they believed in. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it's definitely like that. So, Bill, what do you what do you make of the lights? What would you tell somebody? How would you explain to somebody that doesn't know the phenomenon? It's um, I try to look at it with an open mind. Uh, if there's stories to tell, right? And I've been warned several times throughout this process of, through these interviews to be prepared for something to happen to me. And uh, I didn't want to take anything away from the interviews. That's why we broke it down into uh, this docu-series instead, because originally this was just going to be a documentary, just a, a one-shot type deal. But uh, as things started happening to me, I didn't want to take away from their story. It, it feels too convenient if, you know, the, the filmmaker, the host of the show is the one experiencing stuff as well. So that's why we did the complete interviews. There's a lot of commonalities. I don't care what part of the country you're in. Uh, that, yeah, th there's just a lot of commonalities. I've seen stuff. I've captured stuff with, with the camera that I've got on me right now. Uh, again, I'm a professional photographer and filmmaker. So it's you know it's not holding a cell phone up trying to capture something i'm i'm shooting 
with 8K. I'm shooting with 48 megapixels. Uh, and the, yeah, there's stuff that I, I don't know what it is. And that's the biggest thing. Uh, now, you know, between just small balls of light that are flying through the air and then something, you know, like the brown mountain lights, uh, the, the ghost lights, I guess we can call them. Uh, I don't know if they're the same things, but yes, there's still some commonalities as far as how they work. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've got my own theories behind some stuff with, with UFOs as well. And we might discuss that a little bit later, but there's stuff that it, it's not airplanes, you know, uh, right. If it's, right. It, 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 if it's satellites, it's not going to take a 90 degree turn. Right. You know, but then, you know, then on the, the, the other side of it, why would a UFO need lights? But, you know, why would a spacecraft need lights mm -hmm. on um, if they have that technology? But, a lot of that has to do with like satellites. Satellites don't have lights on either. What you're seeing is the reflection of the sun that's way past the horizon reflecting off of it in space. So. Right. And Science Bob wants to know, Bill Howard, how did you get into independent filmmaking with all the odd phenomenon? Well, uh, I've always been interested in the odd phenomenon. <laughs> uh, and like I said, even with my outdoors column, I wrote about the Brown Mountain Lights every Halloween, basically. It, it was a trip that I would do every year. Uh, I even wrote about the uh, Devil's Tramping Ground, which is here in North Carolina, which that was kind of freaky as well. But I wrote a film, a, a narrative called The Great Dismal, and it, it's a Bigfoot movie. In fact, it'll, it's supposed to hit uh, Tubi next month. So wow. uh, be prepared to see that. Um, awesome. I joke about it. It's, it's kind of like your Scooby-Doo mystery, and I'll just <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> but uh, while I've been waiting for the great one to go through distribution, I wanted to try something myself. And I shot a calendar for a company back, uh, back in 2020. I want to make sure I get my years right. And one of the subjects was uh, a former CIA agent. And he gave me some information that kind of blew my mind. So he was not going to interview with me on camera. There was just too many safeguards. He was trying to protect himself. So I wrote a script with some actors to tell his story where it wouldn't go back to him. And uh, that was called The Incredulous Case of Aliens, U.S. Government, and Arnie Smith. Well, when that came out, I started having a lot of people contact me and say, hey, this thing happened to me. This thing, you know, happened to my cousin. This thing happened to my parents. And so in various groups on Facebook where we talk about UFOs and aliens, I put a feeler out there. Would anybody want to come out and let's interview about your experiences. Let's hear t your testimony and let's show people that you're not crazy, that you're not the only one. You know, if, if I'm somebody that has experienced that it's very easy for me to stay in the closet, let's, let's get, you know, let's get you out of the closet. Let's show 
you that you're not crazy because these people aren't crazy that I'm talking to. And anyway, I was testing distribution with it is what I was doing. That's how I got into right. this side of it. And right. um, it's, it's just expanded. And I feel like the stories need to be out there. Now, is everything they're telling me 100% true? I, I can't tell you. I can, I can tell you this, that I 100% believe that they believe what they saw, what they've experienced. And, and I totally agree with you because when people ask me, hey, Grizzly, is this video or photograph real? And I always say, well, number one, I wasn't there, right? I didn't take it. And I, I, I cannot tell you. I'm just going off of their emotions and what they tell me. And I totally agree with you. Now, Ronald, now, if I ask you, if you had to explain the Brown Mountain Lights to somebody, how would you define that? Wow, that, that's that's a loaded question. So over the years, I think that I've had very many uh, changes in my theories. But at the end of the day, I think that we are talking about something that has to deal with the Gaia theory, right? That the world itself is a living organism. Mm -hmm. And that living organism has an intelligence to it. And these intelligences can be expressed in the forms of energy. And I think that everything emits energy. And I think that the ancients knew about these things whenever they put up things like Stonehenge and even the pyramids. And if you look across the United States, you have, you know, these earthen mounds and these mound cities from mound builders. It's as if they realized that this earth was a grid of energy. And there were certain points where this energy manifested itself in different ways. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, we can also kind of scaffold into the idea of the elemental, which is the fairy, you know, and the idea that these creatures were called elementals. These entities were referred to as elementals because they seemed to occupy their station within the physical world. They encompassed some property within the physical world. So that being said, you know, the alchemists would think that the water had the undines and, you know, the fire had the salamanders and all these different elements had these attending spirits. And I think that that energy that we're talking about is the same energy that we see released now in what people are called earth lights. But now we live in a society that it's civilized and we've separated ourselves from that natural rhythm and that natural frequency. But I think that, that natural rhythm and that natural frequency is still going on out there. We're just not perceiving it the way we did before we became who we are today. Yeah, I actually, I, I, I concur with that. I actually did a show a while back ago, for three or four months ago, on that phenomenon. It was very interesting. Yeah. Uh, science Bob, Ron Murphy, you have written many books and are known as the Cryptid Guru. What drew you to cryptid research, and what is your current main focus? Let's see. Excellent question there, Science Bob. So it, it was my mother. You know, my mother, uh, you know, I was a child of the of the late 70s, and uh, my mom and I, we would watch uh, In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy, you know, and we would watch That's Incredible. And uh, back on Saturdays as a kid, uh, they would actually show cartoons on Saturday mornings. And then right around noon or one o'clock, a lot of the stations would put on horror movies, you know. Yeah. So this is the first time I became acquainted with The Legend of Boggy Creek. And uh, ever since that time, it's just been the idea of, you know, things that go bump in the night have always interested me. Well, they've always frightened me as well, too. So a part of this uh, effort to exercise these demons 
that haunt me and torment me, I, I start to look into them more deeply on an academic level, hoping, hoping that that will make it less sinister and less uh, frightening. But in actuality, it doesn't. It just brings it a little bit closer to home. But my mom always looked at the world with very much, you know, wide-eyed and wonder and amazement. And I just follow in her footsteps to this day. No. Interesting. Interesting. We got a question for uh, Bill. Cliff Jones. Question, Bill. Do you ever pick up strange hums or sounds while filming? Hmm. I have. I haven't when I have filmed UFOs. When, when I've seen lights, I haven't had strange sounds then. But I have, um, I, I'm in the woods a lot. I'm in uh, the, I travel throughout the United States constantly. Uh, the Mojave Desert has some strange sounds at night. And also, um, not far from Mount Shasta, uh, I've spent the night there in, in the, I guess they're the Redwoods up in that area. Um, yeah, it, 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 you know, I'm used to hearing strange sounds. Uh, I'm a hunter as well. So, you know, four in the morning, a bobcat sounds like a baby crying. But uh, oh. there's sounds that I haven't right. heard that I can't explain. Yeah. So constant hums, thumping hums, uh, or, or, or thumping rumbles, I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah, some strange stuff. Wow, that was a good question. Lola, what questions do you have? I'm real excited. I, I want to know. I like asking this. Um, what is an experience that you, you either researched and found out about or you had yourself that you will never forget? Who are you asking me? or Both you guys. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> um, hmm. So the, the gentleman that I interviewed, or not that I interviewed, that I photographed for the calendar, uh, he warned me to stay away from the Four Corners area at night. Uh, he said it's kind of a UFO alien hotbed. Oh, wow. When I was interviewing people last October for encounters, uh, I went through that area and I was making... I, I was going to be in the Four Corners area overnight on purpose. Mm -hmm. And as uh, I was maybe an hour outside of the Four Corners area, and the first thing I saw was just a bright green meteor shot through the sky. It's a dark area, so you can see everything even when you're driving. Mm -hmm. But shortly after that, off to my right, and this is the first time I'm telling anybody live, so you've got an exclusive here. Um, Thank you. There was a light that it just kept getting brighter and brighter. It wasn't moving, but you could tell the intensity was a lot more than what it should be. And uh, so I watched it, and then it faded out and disappeared. So I kept driving. Well, five minutes later, same place. The light starts. It's very dim. And because I'm looking at this point, because I saw the light and it didn't intrigue me, it kept getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And at this time, I pulled off the side of the road. I grabbed my camera. I threw on a long lens. I was going to video it. 
And by the time I got the stuff set up, the light had dimmed back out. And um, I was even talking to my wife about it. And because uh, I called her and woke her up and was saying, hey, yeah, this is kind of freaky. I waited another 10 minutes or so and it happened again. I captured it. But at this point, I had gotten back into the truck. So I was moving. And so I was filming off the dash through the glass. And um, that was kind of the start of a series of uh, events. But that that was the first one that I couldn't explain. There was no airports in that direction. I, mm-hmm. I actually contacted a couple of people that I interviewed in Encounters and said, hey, can y'all look up some stuff for me? And um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what it was. Wow. Do you, think, do you think it was trying to lure you closer to that area? I don't know, but it, it the intensity of the light is really what struck me. Um, right. I've, I mean, I've got them written down. I've got a whiteboard over here. It's one, two. Since October last year, I've had seven unexplainable in, you know, events, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it was luring me. Mm-hmm. If it was just letting me know it was there. Or if it was just dumb luck, you know, I, I don't know. Wow. I would have freaked out. You're you're brave. I would have run. You video stuff every night. You, you uh, even in your house. I know. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Grizzly would have been in the ditch. <laughs> <laughs> Out, he, he saw he went to a graveyard, Grizzly, and he—that's he, not funny. Why do you tell it now? <laughs> he thought he saw a ghost. It was a guy riding a bicycle. It, was, it looked like <laughs> Bill and Ronald. It looked like a ghost running at me in the cemetery, and it was a guy on a bicycle. But he gets real yes, excited. I about had a heart attack, <laughs> and I he didn't grab a camera. Him. I froze, and I thought I was going to die, and I was live. Yeah, yeah. People shouldn't be riding bikes in uh, cemeteries, anyways. No, right. tell me, <laughs> tell him. Mm. And my daughter didn't know what was going on because they no. didn't know. She didn't know at all. She she was freaking out because I was freaking out. No, but it was funny afterwards, you know. Mm-hmm. So if that guy ever watches our video, he I know he got a good one on Grizzly. Could you imagine? Go on Reddit and be like, sir, if you were here at this time. <laughs> and I told everybody, I was like, look, you know, I'm retired law enforcement, so I'm going to be packing some heaters with me. So don't play some pranks on me out there. I didn't tell anybody where I was going, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that's yes. awesome. Yeah. Okay. Ron, Ron what well, about, about you? you? Yeah. All right. So this um, was really the catalyst that kind of got me like, you know, I had done conferences before this and everything, but this is really what got me really like in too deep, right? To the point that I could not be extracted anymore. Um, for most of my adult life, I've been a teacher and uh, I do little tours and things like that around uh, my town. And uh, I was teaching at this one school and uh, the principal asked if I would put a little ghost tour on uh, for the faculty. You know, I said, well, I didn't really want to be out in the woods with a bunch of middle-aged women, you know, uh, but I told him I would think about it. So later on that day, 
one of these young teachers, about 23 years old, said, hey, Mr. Murphy, I hear you're doing a ghost tour. Is that right? I said, yes, that is correct. So I was kind of like, you know, had to go all out then at that point. So I knew that this girl was going to be there. And uh, so I wanted to look the part, right? So I, I got all my research done. And I even bought myself a scarf, which I usually don't do, but I wanted to look like I just came off the cover of GQ magazine, although it's from like the Wish version. The Wish version of GQ. Yeah. So, yeah. So as I, so I'm like the Wish version of Josh Gates anyway. So I'll, I'll get I'll get to this point. So so we arranged everything and I decided to take them to this area that has a supposedly haunted cemetery. And there's also folklore down there, an urban legend, that a witch used to live down there. Wow. So as the folklore goes, um, it's uh, 1781, and um, the witch, you know, she's a hedge witch. She lives right beyond uh, the town. Uh, but they would turn to her for medicine or for advice about planting crops or for midwifery or whatever. Mm -hmm. So as the story goes, Things start going pretty badly for this town, right? The crops aren't going in. Uh, the, the the children are being birthed and they're stillborn. Um, and, you know, animals are dying. So things are not going well. So they thought, what do we, what, what seems to be the, the common denominator here? And they, of course, the witch. Now, because this area was so um, impacted by the immigration of the Scotch-Irish, and we're talking about a town that maybe only had 50 people at this particular time, and most all of them were Scotch-Irish, uh, they would probably get to thinking, well, how do we handle a witch? Well, we know that the last witch was burned in Scotland about or 1737, so it's very possible that somebody that was there in that town either saw the witch being burned or heard about the witch being burned. Mm -hmm. So as the story goes, they um, they decided they would grab the witch and they would burn her to cast out this evil that they allowed into their community. Mm -hmm. So as the flames lapped up, she said that she was going to send enough water to quench these flames. And a hundred years to the day, on May 31st, 1881, uh, the Johnstown flood came through and destroyed the town. So that is the urban legends there. So I thought we are going to go do some witch hunting, right? Mm -hmm. So I tell the story and I start leading them to this old abandoned train tunnel, right? And my stories are pretty good. It's starting to get dark. And the little girl that I kind of had a thing for, Abby, she even takes my hand because she's scared. Oh. So guys, this is all working out for Ron's benefit, right? This is an awesome thing. So we get down to the abandoned tunnel and uh, we start looking into our, you know, taking everybody's taking pictures of their digital cameras. And now on the digital cameras, we see these orbs of light, not manifesting, mind you, but dripping up from the ground. It looked as if there was water dripping from the ceiling, but it was dripping up, okay? Oh, wow. Very odd, very odd. And then the one girl that I had the, the, the interest in, the orb starts circling her as if it's evaluating her in some ways. And then it places itself over her face to the point that we're taking pictures and her face is constantly obscured by this perfect circle of light, right? Oh, no. Oh, oh, multiple, no. Pictures, multiple no. Angles. And now she starts complaining of a headache. She's no. experiencing something physical going on here. So I thought, you know, this is enough. Let's, let's, let's kind of get out of here. So I start issuing everybody out. And it's about a mile to our car. So it's pretty far away. 
And as we start at, uh, uh, hitting the summit of the hill that we walked down, so we're probably about another about maybe a quarter of a mile from the car, we start seeing these pinpoints of light, almost like LED lights, in yellow and blue and green, just bouncing back and forth over the trail. Never seen anything like this before. And this was whenever I really encountered this idea of these earth lights or these spook lights actually interacting, okay? So there was something out there with us, right? Um, and then as we get approaching the earth lights, the lights go out and we hear whispering. Somebody asked about this idea of humming. Um, we heard what sounded like whispering, but it was very, very loud, almost a cacophony of different voices whispering to the point that it had a frequency. Again, we're going back to the idea oh. of frequency. So we're scared. To, uh, you know, I'm not a brave person. I took off. We all took off. We get back to our cars. You know, the one girl says, I feel something burning my back. She lifts up her shirt. She has scratches on her back. Like all, oh. all the things that could possibly happen, happen. Mm -hmm. you know, and lo and behold, I get to the car and I find out that my scarf is missing. So, Whoa. yeah, my scarf is missing. Um, now, it could have happened just in the rush of things that came off or whatever, but, you know, I just bought this scarf. So um, we decided that we were going to go to a restaurant, sit and talk about everything that happened. So we sat there for about an hour at the restaurant. Nobody said anything. And it was really one of those things where it affected everybody systemically, right? This isn't just an encounter, right? It's an experience. Your body has to kind of process this. So we all said our goodbyes, and we decided that we were going to go home. So I get back to the house, and I unlock my door, and I step inside, and I jump back immediately because inside my house, I see a light, okay? I didn't mm -hmm. leave the lights on. Now, I have five children, so it's very possible that they left the light on before they went to the sitters, but it was not any ordinary light. It was my gas burners on my stove, and all four were going on. Now, remember, we were looking for a witch that supposedly was burned at the stake, right? So I turn off the, 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 the gas. I go outside. I'm scared at this point, right? Like, I'm, I, I don't know what to do or anything. So after a while, I build up enough courage. I think, you know, one of the kids probably left the things on. This can be explained from a skeptical point of view. This doesn't have to be supernatural. So I uh, turn on all the lights in the house. And I go to hang up my coat on the coat rack, and my scarf is there. Oh, now, now, where's my holy water? No. So, <laughs> right. so, so what? whenever I tell the story, and this is the very few times I've told the story, what happens then as we delineate the, the circumstances is that these things know about us, right? Mm -hmm. So as a researcher, they, they understand and maybe are even cognizant about, you know, our thoughts or whatever. But whatever happened in that, and I cannot explain this rationally. I'm a rational person. I'm a religious person. I have no rational explanation for how any of this had happened. Um, but all I know is that whatever we experienced knew more about us than just us being there. You know, it, it understood where we came from and where we were going and everything else. So that really opened up my mind to the world of the unexplained. Um, because that makes no sense that that we were being evaluated in such a way, you know. It was almost as if they were researching us. We invaded their territory. Right. They wanted to find out what was going on, and they drove us off their territory, and then they showed that they could come into our world and right. gave kind of a warning about, you know, maybe it's better you left certain things unknown. 
Wow. Okay. It's so amazing. I'll take that as part of Can science Bob question. Yes, that is yes, wow. Yes. Yeah, I, will, uh, I, I still have the scarf, and I still bring it around. So That is crazy. So yeah. Yolanda wants to know, this question goes to Bill and Ronald, so we'll go to Bill. What do you guys think about the UFO that was out in the middle of the Grand Canyon or wow. somewhere down south? Uh, Tall-looking object that was shining. I honestly don't have any information on it. I haven't read that story yet. Um, but real, and I apologize, Yolanda. Can I ask Ronald a question real quick? Yeah. Have you studied any of the Bell's Witch? coming. I'm doing. A, I'm. I'm presently writing a script, but I'm going by the the authenticated history of the Bell's Witch. Mm -hmm. John Bell. Before he moved to Tennessee, his homestead was about 20 miles from where I live. Mm. And so I, I'm kind of diving into that. And what is in that book is way much more scarier than any film that's come out on it. Mm. That's right. Huh. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the story of the Bell Witch is much more because a lot of it isn't very cinematic. You know, the idea that these disembodied voices would follow them around. Right. It was a constant torment upon these people. And not only was it a private torment or, or a made up torment, let's put it that way, but people witnessed it as well, too. Right. We have even a president that witnessed that something really strange was going on in that house. Um you know, keep in touch with me. I would love to see how you progress with this and everything, because as far as, um, you know, it's like an iconic case, an American paranormal activity, and it's something that should really be studied because there's so much going on there. We, we have to deal with a cave, which is one of those those aspects that makes it even more strange because we have the idea of, you know, spirits that dwell within the earth itself. So what were we dealing with when we were talking about the Bell Witch? But in one of the reasons I'm asking is like you were mentioning with the scarf and that you mm. said that whatever entity was there with you knew what you were doing. Uh -huh. Well, the bell's witch, you know, we speak more of this in religious terms, but the bell's witch almost had a omnipresent and omnipotent mm. aspect to her mm. Mm -hmm. by, by being able to be in different churches at the same time, mm. repeat the sermon word for word to the, uh, to the clergy, to the, the minister, it is, it is like I said, it's an omnipresent, meaning, mm -hmm. you know, they understand what's in the future and in the past. Absolutely. They're living through all of that at the same time. Right. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. It, it, it is a unique story, and I'm glad. I, I'm sure you will do it justice. I'm going to try. Mm. <laughs> That's but, awesome. That, that, it, it is a hard thing to put in film visually but there are some really spooky scenes so it, it's going to be something that actors really need to be able to push that suspense mm. and dread but uh there are some scenes that could really do some some justice to the story i think awesome. it'll be fun to film oh but, absolutely um, but back to yolanda's question yeah i haven't heard anything about the ufo in the grand canyon maybe the news didn't hit me being here on the east coast what about you, Mr. Murphy? I'm on the East Coast, and I've not heard anything about it either. I have a stupid question. I don't really know much about the Bell's Witch. Is that what really? 
Somebody, I live under a rock, okay? <laughs> Bill, tell her. Oh my gosh, tell, explain to her. So John Bale, uh, this is back in the, right, right at the turn of the uh, century in the 1800s, okay? Not, not the 1890 to 1900, but earlier. <laughs> Uh, the 18th, or I guess it would be what the 19th century is, 1800, yes. mm-hmm. but whatever it is. John Bell moved from what is present day Tarboro, North Carolina, to what is present day Adams, Tennessee. And he carried his family, and there was a entity that just started causing torment to John Bell's family. And uh, we even had a president, Andrew Jackson, uh, that went to investigate and his men all stopped as they were entering the town. The horses stopped. They, they tried pulling the horses. Nothing would happen. Oh, and Andrew God. Jackson that said, cool. hey, we, we've got, we'll just get off the horses. We'll come in. All of his men spoke in unison that they were the Bell's witch. Oh, and uh-uh. that struck some fear into him. Uh, there's some, you know, there, there's some iffy stuff about whether Jackson left any uh, memoirs about that. Some say that he did. Some say they didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. People have, have tried to find out if he was in the area when all of this happened, and he, he was. Uh, but her main goal was to kill John Bell. And uh, it is the only known case in which a person, a human, has died from an entity. Oh, my God. So it's like a demon, if it's that strong? It There's some really freaky stuff. With, I've got a uh, second edition of the book, which okay. it set me back a little bit. But uh, but I wanted to, I wanted to get the original story from it, and right. then I've added in John Bell's son's writings as well. And I'm trying to kind of, I want to keep it. I don't want a Hollywood, affiant, so to speak. Um, but I mean, there there's a case where she and two kids are in a tree, and the tree is swaying back and forth and back and forth. And that the John wasn't there at the time. It was uh, his daughters. Um, she she like took over, um, possessed a daughter a couple of times, I think. Um, oh but she she was seen in two different locations at the same time. The thing I mentioned about the minister, um, they were they were asking who the entity was, and they were at John mm-hmm. Bell's house. And the entity said, you know, that she's a witch. And but you, she goes, but you know me. Mm-hmm. And he, the minister was like, I, I don't know. He said, I was in your church on the Sunday. And she started quoting word for word his sermon. Oh, and, oh, I mean, and this is, you know, it, it's, it's kind of freaky. But the thing is, she also did the same thing for the other minister, which was a two hour horse ride away. There were no cars. <laughs> then, and she could do the same thing there. So it, it's a very intriguing wow. story. But that, that, again, that knowing of everything was what Ron was describing with his encounter. 
That is crazy. Oh, it, it gets freaky. It does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, be a that's a 24, uh, that's a 2024 slash 25 project. <laughs> wow. That's I can't exciting. wait. That sounds good. It yeah. really does. I mean, it's horrible what happened, but it's so intriguing. You, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, if it could be any president, because this is 1799 is whenever George Washington died. So, like, we are at the, 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 America is just starting to become its own, right? So, and it was still very wild and very desolate in many areas. This is before Lewis and Clark took off or anything. So, we're talking about the, you know, this part of Tennessee was still very wild with, you know, wolves and everything. So, we're dealing with people that are trying to settle a new world, plus dealing with all this other kind of stuff that's going on as well, too. Mm -hmm. which makes it very interesting because it's the same type of atmosphere that was happening up in Salem in 1692. This idea that you have Native Americans around you, you have all these different cultures clashing at one time, right? And uh, the thing about Andrew Jackson, which is the reason I bring up about uh, George Washington, he was no nonsense. Like, if there would be any president you wouldn't mess with, it would be old Hickory, right? He was, he, you know, he, he drove the Native Americans into the Everglades. You know, he was... He was not taking no for an answer. You know, look what he did in the War of 1812, uh, you know, later on and everything. So he mm -hmm. was really one of these guys that you did not want to mess with. So whenever he writes about this event, you know that there is something to it rather than just hearsay or some sort of, you know, superfluous yellow journalism going on. Right. All right. Science Bob, please ask Bill Howard how to describe the encounters project the uh encounters it, it's kind of like i said early on i felt like people needed a voice the government came out and said yes there are ufos otherworldly you know craft or whatever um and between what i had already spoken with that one person about I thought it would be a good avenue to let people hear other people's stories. So these are very raw interviews. When I, um, again, I, I was going to do this as just a one-off documentary, but when I started experiencing things, I, I was sitting there, okay, do I include that? Is that going to make it seem like it's not real? Mm -hmm. um, you know, that it's going to detract from the other people's stories. So I hit the community and said, all right, so here's the deal. I've, I've got these interviews with these people. Would you rather hear the complete interview from camera turning on to camera turning off to show that this is not scripted? You can see every emotion in their face. You know, the, the only cuts is when I have to cut a camera off and cut it back on because my time limit runs out as far as DSLRs and mirrorless they have a 30 minute time limit other than the camera I've got on me right now. So I've, but the thing is in these interviews, I have a screen that comes up and says, I have to reset the camera. So I, I want people to see that this is what these people experienced, what they encountered uh, for the stories that they're telling. Now I ask questions that you don't typically see in a documentary of this sort. When somebody says, I heard a voice talking to me, telling me, do this and do that. My response was, was it your voice that you're hearing? Is it a 
man's voice? Is it a robotic voice? What kind of voice are you hearing? Because we never get that out of interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, it, I'm, I'm trying to ask the question behind the question. Okay. If you're hearing something, what were you, you know, not just what were you hearing? How did it sound? And most of the time it, it was, in fact, I think just about every time, uh, it wasn't a voice that was audible. It was something inside them, right. but it was not there. So voice. like a place interview. Yeah, it, it, it was, it, it's like talking to yourself without voice, you know, you're sitting right. here, you know, coming up with whatever thoughts, but it's not your voice where I always hear my voice when I'm talking to myself in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I ask them, you know, Let's be frank, right? We we want people to believe. We want people to see that you're not crazy. Have you ever been un, under the influence of mushrooms or LSD or acid? You know, I ask those questions because I want people to see that these are real people that have had some very unreal experiences. Yeah, and ladies and gentlemen, when when we do interviews, and and, and I'll I'll be pretty much frank with you. Uh, you know, we do have mental health issues and we do have people that are under uh, illegal substances and that does play some major roles in some interviews and, and encounters. So we have to take that in, into some uh, effect. So uh, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, Tammy Johnson. I'll, I'll, oh, go tell ahead. One, I'll tell you one thing. Um, there was one interview I did. I'm not going to disclose who it was. Sure. But it was uh, it was out there. It was way out there. Okay, it's right. one of those things where you where you leave and you go, do I need to get help for this person? Right. Oh, absolutely. But the funny thing is, I'm driving now. My vehicle is an FJ Cruiser. It's got a compass that's built in on the dash, and I've never had issues with it ever. I have had GPS on the phone start telling me I'm going backwards and things like that. Well, all of a sudden, I'm I'm going straight north. My directions on the phone, it's turning me all around. Uh, it's throwing me 150 feet off of the road. But even that can be explained with, um, like, military bases. A lot of times, they'll test GPS uh, mm-hmm. jamming equipment. In right. fact, um, I, I'm a, a pilot. And I get notifications that, hey, in this area, they're going to be doing GPS stuff because we don't want to be in a plane and something like that happens, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, you know, I'm thinking it it could be something like that. But the compass on the dash starts spinning around. And that's that's something. And again, this guy that I'm sitting here going, he, he may need help. Also told me you got to be careful what you look for. I've had multiples of these say, "Be careful what you look for because you just might find it." Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, so you know, it is it something that just happened. I've never had my compass fail like that ever. And I've got three hundred and twenty thousand miles on this FJ Cruiser, but that one wow. time it did. And so. Is it a coincidence? And then I'm starting to throw all this in my brain. It very well could be, but it makes you think and makes you wonder. Right. No, absolutely. They, they were letting you know, hey, this is 
really happening. Yeah. Because yeah. they'll, they'll sneak in the energies and give you little tiny clues to pick up on. I mean, it's amazing how they just, they do things for a reason. So everything you experience, they want that to happen. I don't think and it's ever one chance. of the questions that popped up was, uh, did I feel like the one at the four corners was evil or just trying to warn me? Yes. That was the question uh, from Tammy Johnson. Um, the deeper somebody goes into these encounters, I'm talking about with, I wanted encounters to be more than just seeing lights. I wanted encounters to be an interaction with whatever's going on. The deeper that gets, the scarier it is. Now, I've often said when, when somebody asks me this, is it scarier that something like this has happened to someone? Because when I'm saying something has happened, I'm talking of, you know, we, we all laugh at the alien probes, right? But when people have actually been probed, mm -hmm. um, when they've had something put in their body that they can't explain, is it scarier that something did that or is it scarier that it didn't happen, but they believe it happened either way. It's not a good scenario, mm -hmm. but yeah, it, I'm, I don't think it's necessarily for good. I, I don't, they're not coming here to, to make sure we don't have nuclear war if it is an alien species, an alien being. Could there be multiple alien beings? You know, it, if we're going to sit here and go with science and say, hey, the universe is a big place, there's got to be something else living out there. Well, by God, there's got to be more than one of something else living out there as well. Right, right. No, I totally agree with that. I do. Ronald, what about if, you? If we go to the Bible, you know, the beings, they, the, the fallen angels weren't here to help us. Right, Nephilim and all that, correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. That is interesting, yeah. yeah it is. And that's a show in and of itself, right? I mean, that, that's a very interesting concept about the idea of, of, of evil, the idea of what the purpose of these creatures are. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote uh, that, you know, if we are ever, if we ever encounter aliens, is it possible that they have still exist in a state of grace. So these are very complicated questions. So does 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 this human stain, this original sin, only exist in our world? See, there, there's a lot of like mm. a lot of really strange things going on there. So are they even fallen from grace? You know, or it, 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 there's a lot of toes to step on here as well too, because C.S. Lewis also said that if we ever would encounter a race we would probably end our peaceful uh, uh, relationship with them by trying to minister to them, right? Because we like to throw our values onto other things. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I think, uh, getting back to everything, that when we talk about evil, okay, it's how we perceive it. Uh, so if people are having things done to them, or if they're experiencing things, or even if they're imagining things, then obviously it's it's impacted them in such a way that they perceive it as evil. Okay, now, and that 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 is the hard thing, right? Because these are all very subjective to one person's 
circumstance, you know, to the experience or circumstance. So, uh, yeah, like I said, that's a whole show in and of itself. We can talk about the Nephilim. We can talk about, you know, the, the, the how, uh, you know, ancient astronauts were presented in Native American folklore and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But I'm glad we come back and talk about that someday. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, negative, too. Yeah. Science yeah, Bob wants to know, uh, you wrote on witches, uh-huh. divining the history of witchcraft. What is the one story of witches that you like to tell most? Well, one of the, the fascinating aspects of, of witches is that, um, and this is not anything, uh, uh, you know, uh, preternatural or anything super supernatural or, or anything like that. But really, whenever you study the, the, the history of witches, you are studying the history of women. Okay, so from a purely anthropological point of view, the study of witches is the study of how women have been persecuted and subjugated by the the patriarchy for thousands of years. Uh, We talk about witches in the Bible. One of the reasons why they were persecuted so badly is because they could provide the answers that men could not provide. And in order to get to any kind of answers, you would have to go through a system of, of, of very masculine type of, uh, of figures in order to get to that divine revelation, right? And with women, it's never been like that. It, 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 you just go to one person and then they give you the advice. It's kind of like the Oracle of Delphi whenever we get into the Greek, uh, Greek uh, uh, literature. So with women, it's always been very open and men don't like that idea. They don't like the idea that you can get through the, to the divine without having to go through a process of getting to the divine. So I think the more you study the witches, the more you study even mermaids, because I wrote a book about mermaids as well, too. Oh, cool. When you have these figures that are predominantly female figures, what you are looking at is an aspect of the psychology on which these uh, events, in which these legends produce themselves, and it's usually a hatred for women or a fear of women. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Actually, the mermaid thing reminded me. Um, have Have any of you heard? I know we hear a lot of stories about aliens in the sky, but what about in the ocean? Because I think they're there too. Hmm. Do you guys have you heard anything about that or experienced anything? I know off Catalina Island, off California, there's a lot of uh, you know. Uh, uh, water sightings there a lot people witnessed you know ufos taking out taking off out of water uh diving into water to get away uh in the uh in the lake superior uh, they have the native americans up there have this uh legend of the uh the water panther which sometimes is seen leaving the water in in sparks of flame and smoke and everything which looks mm. a lot like the experience of a ufo so the idea that uh, that uh, they are are just limited to the sky is uh, ludicrous because obviously if they could traverse the the, the vast reaches of the of the universe, they could definitely mm-hmm. go underwater as well. Mm-hmm. I agree. Wow. Speaking of the the water part, and let, let, we'll go back. You know, the, the thing that kind of set this off for the government over the past few years is the Tic Tac experience, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it moved in ways that physics doesn't allow. Now, this is just, I don't know if I want to call it a theory, but we've seen where, like, AI has come over the last few years. Absolutely. Over the last year, right? Um, between things such as mid-journey that can make a perfectly 
a, a photograph, you know, it looked exactly like a photograph to chat GTP causing a writer strike so that we don't have, uh, you know, writers out of business because it can write a script for nothing. Mm. Um, is it far fetched that if we do have an alien species that's monitoring earth, that it would be some type of hologram AI in which holograms can travel the speed of light because that's all it is, is light. It also means it's not bound by physics. It, it can zip and zoom and do whatever it wants to do, but it's got some type of AI attached. How do y'all think about something like that? That's an interesting spin. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure. if, if we get something that's just Honestly, it, it doesn't have to be thousands or millions of years more advanced than we are. It could right. be a hundred years more advanced than we are. Mm -hmm. Right. I believe it. I do. Because we're like little babies compared to them. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I, I agree with that. that, would that be that's one, one avenue I'm kind of like looking at in the future. It's just there's there's no reason to think that something like that couldn't take place. And that would explain the physics side of it that we have a problem right. with explaining. Mm -hmm. right. And all it is, is it's a, a way to monitor us. Now I mentioned in the incredulous case, um, I was on the salt flats in Utah mm -hmm. and, um, you know, you ask people ask, why would aliens be interested in us? If you look at the other planets we have just in our solar system and then look at our planet, I mean, we have every geography out there. You know, we, we've, we've got mountains, we've got deserts, we've got cold climates, we've got water, we've got freshwater and salt water. Um, we have we're devoid of life on all these other planets, yet here on this one planet, we have millions of species and we've had millions and millions more species previously mm -hmm. why wouldn't someone take this planet as a petri dish just to try to figure us out it, it, you know that's what we would do oh yeah Absolutely. yeah that's true what about upside look how fast we are advancing 100 years ago we didn't have cell phones tvs and hadn't been to the moon and didn't have nukes. Well, I'm going to tell my age here. I, I used to find it fascinating that my great grandmother lived before an airplane flew. Mm. You know, so oh, wow. now look at where, you know, yeah. now my kids are fascinated with the fact that not only did we not have internet when I was living, but right. we didn't even have computers when I was living. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's put this in perspective. So the Wright brothers, their first flight in their plane was less than the wingspan of a 747, right? All right, so exactly. that's a fact. And this is what this is takes a, a stretch of the imagination because if this wasn't true, we wouldn't believe it, right? So the Wright brothers, to the time we landed on the moon, is less than 69 years. That's wow. that's that's a that's a, a middle age lifetime. You know what I mean? It, that is so unbelievably odd to me that those advances were made that quickly. So, like Science Bob said, you know, and just look at the combustion engine compared to oh, the That's not a long yeah. Period. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's Before right. Before that, so, of course, buggy. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like you had said, I mean, we are in the process now where maybe in the next 10 or 20 years, we can send holograms to other planets. Right. And, uh, and uh, it's just, it's just the way a society, you know, backs its, 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 its research. Right. I mean, maybe they just want to go examine and explore the world out there. We, we you know, we want to self-destruct ourselves. Right. right. But maybe there are societies out there that simply want to explore. So they take all their motivation and all their income and settle into this kind of AI exploration around the world. I think that's very plausible. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I still think Eisenhower met with the aliens in the Air Force hangar and didn't go to the dentist. That's <laughs> what I think. So <laughs> I'll be so, right back. One minute. I'm getting water real quick. Okay. But uh, that's what I think. Uh, I, you know, the granddaughter come forward and she said it actually happened. What do y'all think about that? <laughs> you think it actually happened? Anything can happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anything I think anything can happen. happen. I mean, wh where do you think all this technology came from? Yeah. Well, that was my point. It seems like it happened very, very quickly. Right. And that, that we didn't have to have kind of like a jump start. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. That's why I brought it up, right? Mm -hmm. For the for the people and the viewers, because right. you know, I, I didn't I didn't have internet. And yeah. I was the new kid on the block. I had Pong. You remember oh, that? Right, right, right. I mean, all the kids in the neighborhood was playing on that. And ladies and gentlemen, if you don't remember Pong, I was the the kid. You know, everybody wanted to come to my house and play. And you tell a kid what Pong is today, and they look at you like you were crazy. Right. And we were entertained for hours. Mm. You know, we didn't have Google. You know, we're we had to go to the library. Pixels on a television. Can you believe? Yeah. It? <laughs> <laughs> hey, son, get up there with that tinfoil and with those rabbit ears. Yeah. And, and, son, turn that channel. But we're we're talking about, um, you know, the advancement from the combustion engine to airplanes to landing on the moon. We're talking about even radio. You know. Radio is a relatively new invention. And then we figured out how with these radio waves to actually send pictures and have this big box pick up the picture. And, it, you know, now that we can see stuff on the phone, you know, my kids don't think anything of that. <coughs> if we had more than one TV when I was little, it was, an, in fact, I had one tele, uh, one telephone and my grandparents were also on the same line, you know, and now everybody has a phone they walk around with. Um, the advancements have gone come real fast. They're going to get faster. Uh, just on the camera side, you know, our memory cards, we go from a slow SD card that was, uh, if you had something that was 64 kilobytes, it was a huge card. To I, the, the camera I'm on right now has got a one terabyte uh, or it's, it's got two one terabyte cards in there and it can dump the one terabyte onto my computer in 10 minutes. Right. Right. But yeah, absolutely. We've, we've learned a lot. We're going to learn a lot more. Um, and if somebody's teaching us this stuff, uh, 
Okay, so the, the CIA agent I was telling you about, he mentioned how uh, the, the advancements we had in nuclear and uh, string theory and that type of stuff. Right. You, obviously, you got to put that into to people's heads that can understand it. Because, I, I mean, I can take a full college curriculum on it and doesn't mean I'm going to understand it. So it's got to go to the right people. But the way he, he explained it is when the aliens, the, 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 the creatures, whatever we want to call them, when they were transferring this information to the people that could understand it, said you, you can't advance it, but so fast. It, you can't go, I can't go to a dog and, and start teaching them advanced calculus, no matter how smart that dog is. The same here. They, they have to start off at a certain point, but they can't teach us. They, they can't throw the whole book at us and say, okay, now you know everything. It doesn't work that way, especially the human species where we learn from the previous generation. We don't learn it all in one generation. So, yes, there, there may be stuff that we have possession of that advances things much farther than we are now, but we just we can't get there yet until we can understand the principles behind the smaller stuff. We got to understand two plus two is four before we can start figuring out, you know, string theory. Right. No, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. Yes. And, it, and it's the same way with the ancient aliens concept. If we go back to the Sumerians and that type of stuff and people say, well, you know, you had angels and you had, you know, chariots in the sky and things like that. Well, they're not going to sit, you know, we're a fledgling species at that point that's just learned how to build a building, you know, for shelter and, and you know, have a crop so you don't have to be a nomad. And you're going to try to teach them that a propulsion system that uses fuel from the ground, it, it doesn't work that way. So you have to take that step. You know, I'm not going to teach my two-year-old, again, you're not going to teach a two-year-old advanced calculus when you're still trying to teach them how to speak. Because right, it, the right. concepts can be lost. So you and, teach them, you teach them Santa Claus and hey, there's two gifts instead of one gift, you know, that type thing instead. And I always tell people on my shows, right, you know, the electric eel theory, right? You know, nobody knew what what that was when they grabbed a hold of it and, and it knocked the hell out of them. They didn't know what, what it was. They thought it was evil. They didn't know how to explain that when they, when they got shocked. Right. You know, how, how did they tell Ron or Bill, Ronald, you know, what 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 happened? What did it feel like, you know? They, they didn't have the knowledge to explain that, the terminology. They didn't understand how that happened. They probably thought it was Satan. It was evil. It was bad. You know, they didn't have that power to, to knowledge to explain that to somebody like you're saying. So I do agree with that. Absolutely. So and I use that a lot because we don't understand. I never forget, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm getting ready to get benefits from the AARP. I'm 49. So, you know, right. Uh, but the first, you know, calculator in the government took up the whole floor of the building, ladies and gentlemen. And that was immaculate. A first calculator. 
And now, well, you know, you remember how excited you were the first time you got a calculator that only had oh, a yeah. multiply on there. Yes. That <laughs> was the same way when, when I bought a, a calculator from Brindle's, I don't know how many people know of what Brindle's mm -hmm. was. It, it's a department store. Uh, but they had a, a cool electronic session it, it, section. In fact, I think I bought a Commodore 64 from there. And the 64 wasn't even 64 gigabytes. That's 64 kilobytes. <laughs> I, I have a yeah, question. The advancements there. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I was just wondering, have, have you asked the people you interviewed if they are RH negative? And also, how many of them felt like they were abducted? Bam. There you go. <laughs> Who did you ask? You. I'm sorry. You. I'm sorry. I missed it. Okay. How many <laughs> of the people? <laughs> I'm so excited and proud of myself. Okay. How many people that you interviewed were they RH negative blood type? Because a lot of RH negatives um, have experiences. And how many felt like they were abducted? That I don't know, but I tell you what, October 1st, which is this Sunday, I'm having a round table with several of the people I've interviewed and I'll ask them. I'll find out okay. what they're looking for. Yeah. Thank you. It'll be interesting. You will be surprised. Four of the ones that I've interviewed. So we've got them coming from Florida, from Georgia, you know, from around the U.S. And we'll see what we can come up with. Yeah, yeah. you're going to be surprised. I, yeah. And I've heard something like that before, too. Yeah, that, that would be interesting. Because I'm O negative, and I've had, I've been, I mean, I'm, I'm chipped. I have something in me. I've woken up with weird triangle bruises. My whole life they've been following me. Um, and I even when I wasn't researching them, they, they would. And my family was O negative, and they had experiences. I really think there's something to it. Or we're just and weirdos. I mean, either I may be positive, and um, I mean, I've had experiences, but I haven't been abducted. I've seen right. light. Right. Yeah, they I've, choose yeah. certain people. Yeah. What yeah. whether they're are RH negative or not, they definitely, you know, they chose you for certain reasons to to research this. And you know, that's one question they always they they always ask themselves is why. Why me? Why was I the one chosen? And they try, that's something they try to figure out. Um, but there's not been a good answer. It just, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's dumb luck is kind of mm -hmm. what the concept is that they just have to stick with it. Um, mm -hmm. And I, you know, I don't know if this will tie into any of uh, Ron's stuff, but. It's not always just UFOs. I mean, we're, we're talking portals. We're talking about right. creatures, beings, entities that just step out into a room. Yeah. Um, which I guess you could say, uh, under certain aspects, you can say that's a ghost type entity, but uh, not the ones that were described to me. It had nothing that gave you that haunted poltergeist ghost type feeling it, it was more of a the alien type feeling mm -hmm. i'll be interested to see what down the road years from now what you 
find out from everything. It's going to be, you, and you will find out. That's what I feel, that you will find out a big, uh, a big secret. I, I want to hear the people's stories. I, um, even after season one came out, um, I've had right many that have contacted me and you know said they, they would love to be on the show. Um, some of it's just not feasible. I, I can't go to France to interview somebody. I'm trying not to do Zoom type calls if I can help it. Um, if if my travels take me to California, I'll I'll contact some of the ones that have contacted me from California and say, "Hey, I'm passing through. Do you want to get together for about two hours and let's let's uh, film a little bit?" Um, that and that's one nice thing about Encounters with it being such a raw type interview that I don't have to do a whole lot of editing to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to do any editing to it. You know, that I've now I, I offer the courtesy to the people I've interviewed, especially when they talk about family members um, or, or any type of sensitive subject. I'll send them the video first and say, if there's anything you want me to cut, let me know. But if I get that cut, I usually just silence the audio and make sure mm-hmm. you can't read their lips. Yeah, um, that's nice. Yeah, you know that that way again the viewer sees that nothing is scripted. It's it's all there. It's all natural. But I'll put words up on the screen. You know, we were talking about a family member that we decided to cut afterwards. But this is what it looked like while we were talking, and it only lasts a few seconds anyway before we're on mm-hmm. to the next sentence. That's good. Uh, that's kind. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. do y'all, Ron, do you get any pushback from the, your investigations from people? Oh, well, sure. Yeah. Whenever I was a teacher, I wasn't allowed to bring it up, you know. Uh, and uh, and what what I find happening as well, too, is there's much more intrusion into it for whatever reason. Um, I uh, was investigating um, a set of foot tracks. Uh, up in my area, and I uh, sent them to Stan Gordon, who posted them on his internet site. And uh, this was, you know, public land and everything. And within uh, two weeks after the pictures were posted, it didn't give any detail about where these tracks took place. It just was a photograph of the set of tracks with my name attached to them. Uh, that place was now uh, private property. Nobody could go on that area anymore. So the oh, idea wow. that people actually know what you're doing and keep track of what you're doing and try to prevent you from doing that mm-hmm. sounds a lot like conspiracy theory but it is indeed going on do you get pushback within within your community oh, I'm not talking sure. about your neighborhood i'm talking about oh. in the paranormal investigation type community oh sure that's what we started to talk about at the very beginning you know there's all these different camps and because i am really kind of a generalist i don't know what we're dealing with then the flesh and blood camp pushes me away or the ufo camp pushes me away or the interdimensional camp uh what have you nobody really wants to work together it's all about you know jockeying for some sort of imaginary position in this field instead of working together that's that's a sad commentary i i now i've seen that too um i had in fact, I got pushed back really big time in one of the UFO groups. Um, and it was when I was just asking for people to, to talk to and uh, you know, if they wanted to share their story. And, you know, we were talking, uh, Riz, you were talking about the mental health aspect that we have to look at. Right. 
in these genres, it's really easy to latch on. If, if you've, especially if you've experienced something and it's prime real estate for someone that is, I don't think anybody goes out to create a cult, but it's prime real estate for somebody to get that following mm-hmm. and have that feeling carry them in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Yes, totally agree. And that's, and I'm trying, that, that's why I want these people to tell their stories. I don't want to interject. I, I even uh, I had one, um, Tim Caney, he's episode one of season one. Uh, he mentioned that he went to a um, hypnotherapist. And one of the questions I asked him, is there any way that this person implanted these memories you know, did, did they lead you into this this story? Did they, you know, it could be just a, a very easy comment. Something, did you, you yeah, know, plant the did seed. your father beat you when you were little? And then you come out of hypnosis thinking your father beat you when you were little. You know, right. uh, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to be manipulated, even if you're not trying to manipulate. You know, if, if, if I'm trying to work with Ronald on a story, I can lead the questions a certain way. Yeah. And yes, I try to prevent that in what I do because I, I really do want people to see the real the stories that are coming from these people and what they've experienced. And you can also easily offend people while interviewing too. Uh, like if I was talking to Ron before we went live or if I was going to bring him on the show and tell his encounter, and I wanted to, to check his credibility. Uh, some of the interview questions I may ask him in a casual conversation is, you know, check his mental state. You know, I may ask if he's on any type of medication. And uh, why is that relevant? Well, have you stopped taking any type of medication or, you know, are you on any type? And, and that will just come up occasionally because sometimes you may find people, yeah, I haven't taken my psychotic medication in two or three months. Okay, is is this a contributing factor to seeing some of these encounters? And ladies and gentlemen, this is a possibility. Mm -hmm. So we have to take this into account, right? I'm not saying it is a factor, it is a possibility. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and this is what we have to look at. That's why I said earlier in the show, mental illness is a big problem in the world, so. And I, and, and and I like your style. You have to watch out for the charlatans. You know, the, the, the yeah. ones oh. that... Yeah. It's, it's a way... One of the, my interviews described it as space gypsies. Um, yes. They're, they're doing it for the... They're, they're doing it for what? why we do TikToks, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's to science... part of the group at that point. Yeah, yeah. Science Bob asking Ron, have you seen footprints or been told a Bigfoot prints where only one side of body footprints are visible you know what yep so i do have a story i apologize my voice is starting to go pretty badly at this point but i'll I'll, I'll get to the story but i guess i want to i wanted to tell you this story from the very beginning too but it will take a couple seconds here i appreciate it thank you yeah sure so um one day uh, a few years ago i woke up and uh, one of the worst things could possibly happen at the Murphy household, and that is we had a snow day from school, right? <laughs> so I have five kids that have to be watched at home, right, because they were little at the time, which means I had to call off work. 
so I was smoking cigarettes at the time. And so I would not become a chain smoker. I kept them on my car. So I needed my first cigarette of the day, which is like six o'clock in the morning. Right. So I opened up the door into that breast of new fallen snow. And uh, as the, you know, the, the, the twinkling of the, of the moon on the, on the, uh, on the snow, I started seeing through some disturbances. Okay. I live by the woods, you know, and I, I we get animals all the time through our place. But this was different because it seemed as if there was a bit of a shape uh, to these uh, disturbances. So I went up, and lo and behold, it were it was footprints. Uh, the footprints weren't huge, you know. These weren't like huge Sasquatch tracks. These were about the size of a dollar, and uh, the toe prints were were very very legible. And I thought, this is strange. It's like a child is out here running around in the snow. So I decided to find out where these tracks came from. And I started to head towards the woods because obviously they came from the woods, right? But they didn't. They appeared in my yard, like in my yard. So what happens, it was a right track and then another right track and then a left right track as if it stepped off of something or if it took a while to fully manifest into a physical form. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now it then made its way over to my house where it apparently glared into my dining room window. And then they went over the hill and they disappeared over the hill as well. Too. Right? They so um, again, we talk about this omniscience that we talked about bill there earlier. Uh, so I'm a paranormal investigator, Bigfoot researcher, whatever. Yet I'm getting a visitation like this at my house, right? So obviously there was something that had to be aware of what was going on, right? So I uh, I waited a while. You know, I thought this is something. I contacted Stan Gordon, who in Western Pennsylvania is like the godfather of all things, um, you know, cryptozoological and paranormal. So I waited until the spring, and I went up to the woods and I find the same set of tracks again, same size tracks. So whatever was there in the winter time was also there in the springtime. And that's whenever I sent all the, all the, my information to Stan who, you know, kind of just posted it as part of the information about what was going on in Western Pennsylvania. He included my name, did not include where it was, was located. But like I said, within a month's time, less than a month's time, uh, that area was now closed down. There was no trespassing, no way to get into that area anymore either. So somebody picked up on what was, what was going on. Um, Another interesting thing is I was doing the Kecksburg uh, uh, conference this year in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, somebody came up to me and they started to tell me about finding um, uh, uh, branch structures, tree structures, about two miles away from where my experience occurred. And he was talking about finding all this stuff. And he was going investigating. He was going out there every week. And then he said, one day I go out there and somebody with a with a, a a vest stops me in the woods. He said, "You can't be in here anymore." He said, "This is state game lands." He said, "It was state game lands, but it's been sold to a private person." So, you know, the chances of conservatory land or state game lands that's open for public consumption for that to be closed down that requires a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on. Yes, and, and one of my one of my theories is, you know, people 
I think that there are people that know that this stuff goes on there, whether it's flesh and blood or whatever the case is. I think that there are people who are in the know that realize there are things out there going on. And whenever they mm-hmm. figure this kind of stuff out, they shut it down as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Now, on one of my shows, uh, Ronald Murphy and Bill Howard, uh, somebody got a hold of a federal pamphlet from Florida. And underneath the hog section, it says, you can take unlimited hogs year-round, but a swamp or a skunk ape, you may not. It's illegal. So I called the 1-800 number live (laughs) on the air and got a hold of a federal officer, right? That answered the hotline. And I said, hey, I'm going down to Florida, and I want to know what is a swamp or a skunk ape. I don't want to shoot one. Tell me what it is. What is it? And they refused to talk to me. Now, being in law enforcement, ladies and gentlemen, that is a federal pamphlet. Mm -hmm. So to have a law on the books, you must have a definition of what that animal is. You must define it by law. Mm-hmm. So when you call, they must give you a definition or a statute which defines that. They wow. told me on the air that they cannot give me their opinion of what that is. Now, I had one lady mm. almost gave me her opinion, but she giggled and, and stopped. So I called back, and the other lady was like a, an old librarian. She would not. Sir, anything else? I'm going to disconnect the call. I cannot mm. answer that. So they refused to answer that. They kept referring me to supervisor. So I left my name and number live on the air. Mm-hmm. And nobody never returned my call to give me a definition of what a skunk yeah. ape or swamp ape was. Yeah, huh. Grizz and Ron, I think y'all are both old enough. Um, do you remember? I think it was probably the mid-70s. California was thinking about replacing the bear with a Bigfoot. On the flag. Yes. Whoa. Yes. That, that is, no. the, you're absolutely correct. I forgot all it, about that. It, it went to the state legislature and they eventually didn't pass it, but they were there were so many sightings hitting at one point that it was a foregone conclusion that in California, you know, we, we think California is packed, you know, from top to bottom of, of with people because it's, it's very populated, right? But the majority of California is just land. And if there's a Sasquatch, it's going to be in Alaska or California. Yeah. I I don't want to see one. I mean, I think it's fun. I just don't want to walk up to one. I'm good. (laughs) Ron, you said you've studied some of the Indian lore, Native American lore. Is there in, you know, I know the lore of, uh, even lights and stuff, but what about like a Bigfoot? Do we right. have anything with that? Yeah, so it depends upon what part of the country we're looking at. Um, in the east area where, where I'm located, um, unfortunately, there are no Native American reservations in my state. Uh, the Native Americans were, were you know, take, chased out, killed off, whatever, uh, in the 1600s. So unfortunately, there's nothing here uh, anymore. So Pennsylvania doesn't have a lot of folklore. But if you look at the places like, you know, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, we do have some hints about what the Cherokee saw. And they would call them, you know, the stone giants 
or the laurel people. So they were very naturally occurring and they were described as personifications of the world around them, which is natural because somebody that is so closely connected to the land would indeed, you know, interact that way. Now, when we get out into the Pacific Northwest, you know, and we look at California as well, too, then we start seeing um, representations in, in, in stone, and you know, petroglyphs. And there we see, you know, the, 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 the iconic footprints, the iconic foot uh, represented. You know, we have the crying men, you know, the, the crying beast there. Uh, we, you know, from the 1800s, we have a story that states that, um, you know, the moon came out one night and it landed and it opened up and out came these crazy bears, as they call it. And that, you know, gave rise to this other kind of um, uh, uh, species that uh, now uh, resides with, with, with people. But uh, I think whenever you look like Lovelock Cave as well, too, right? I mean, you have those those kind of stories, too, about these battles between the Native Americans and these creatures that are so similar to people, but different enough that they aren't included or accepted. And of course, mm-hmm. they're part of the totem poles and the Klingit uh, uh, nations. And uh, yeah, so I think that across North America, we have the idea of a Bigfoot or a wild man. And that's uh, that's characteristic of every place around the world. You know, even the Woodwose uh, in England, the Yaren in China, you know, the Almasty in Russia, uh, the Yowie in Australia, they all go by different names. But the, the Aboriginal people knew that there was something out there and became part of the mythology and part of their religious system. Yes. What would the chances be a Bigfoot is described as being seven, eight, nine feet tall at times. Could that be the giants that we've also heard in various lore? I, I, I think so. So whenever I was uh, researching my book on Bigfoot, uh, and especially whenever I came to the part on, on, on the Bible, because I think it's very interesting how we look at that. So, you know, the idea of the Nephilim, you know, we were like, you know, uh, insects in their sight. Uh, and the idea that, that we considered them, less than who we are you know the, the, the idea of the fallen ones is interesting because if we look at the word fallen as a verb or as a noun or as an adjective so there are some archaeologists that are suggesting that we're not talking about the fallen as if fallen from a height but fallen as if they were lower than us so mm-hmm. this could be a remnant population of you know a hominid species that we encountered and we simply did not know how to interact with it um and you know i think that plays uh, that's an important thing because uh goliath is said to have been uh he had 150 fathers which is something that's also very um uh notable in in sasquatch lore the idea of the, the the taking of women you know which was often overlooked in modern day type of uh of of uh of research but um and then we move on and we see like uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is actually before the Bible, you know, when the, the character of Ein Kaido uh, represents what looks definitely like a Bigfoot. And then we see um, in uh, the, the Grendel in, uh, in Beowulf, and it, it just keeps up showing up again and again and again to the point that it becomes an archetype because it appears in so many cultures around the world, it becomes an archetype. So we know what the wild man is. It is embedded in our very DNA. And now what do we do with it? I mean, we, we trace it far enough back. And in my opinion is the reason why it's there, the reason why it occupies a space in our collective unconscious is because we 
uh, as early humans dealt with these remnant populations of these creatures, and uh, it's very possible they're still alive today, and people are still seeing them. Now, what? And I'm I'm taking over this interview. I'm sorry, Grizz. <laughs> no, no, uh, this, this is great. great. Yeah. So, in the fossil records, we know that Neanderthals and and the current Homo sapien sapiens were able to interbreed. Absolutely. We also know what's the chance that we're de- a, a Bigfoot is not necessarily a, a a swamp ape, a skunk ape, that it's really more just like <laughs> one genus off of us. Absolutely. I think that that's what really needs to be looked at as well, too. One of my theories is this, okay? So we know that Australia does not have a grade eight population, right? We know we know that doesn't happen. So where does the Yowie come from? How, how do we make a connection with that? Now, we know that people started to arrive in Australia at an ungodly early time. Like, you know, we talk about the idea of technology being granted to people. You know, Australia is out in the middle of nowhere and people were getting in little boats made of, you know, uh, wood and balsa wood, you know, and just sending out into the open sea because they knew that something was beyond there. That That's curious to me. But for mm-hmm. what it takes, you know, one of the earliest cultures that is that has survived intact is the Australian fi- people. So when we talk about their dream time and everything, we're looking back into the very um, genesis of that particular civilization. So we know that Australia is big on reptiles, and we know that it's not very big on, um, you know, certain things. Like, it has no apes. So one of my theories is where the Yowie could possibly have come from is how did it cross that expanse of water? Mm-hmm. And one of my theories is it could have got there in utero. It could have been one of these things where somebody had mated with these wild men and they took it mm-hmm. over them as a pregnant person and it was able to start its own, you know, its own kind of uh, uh, type uh, of hybrid. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, right, right. I mean, that's that's a possibility. That's just one of my theories because you think about how things get um, from place to place. But uh, if we would go to, you know, even like, you know, Flores, you know, Homo, Homo Florensis, um, if we would go there uh, and start talking in Indonesia about how our Bigfoot interacts with the environment, they would say immediately, yes, we understand that, right? Except what happens on islands, you experience something called insular dwarfism. So things tend to get smaller. So there, the Homo Florensis was the you know that's why they call it the Hobbit is because it was very small, um, and uh, people had reported these these beings living on a mountain coming down stealing children, uh, stealing mm-hmm. women, stealing food. That was part of their world. That was part of their culture. And then whenever the Dutch started to come on over and started to uh, exploit uh, the uh, resources there, they then also encountered these creatures as well too. So we know from the fossil record that they were. Existed. We know they were existed in flesh and blood, but what we fail to understand or we fail to accept is these things could have existed in the historical times and maybe being existed even to this day. That's what we like to tend to shut off because we don't want to believe that that could happen, but we know that it could happen, right? Because there are Lazarus species all over the place. There are these species that have returned from the dead and keep showing up. Now, yeah. if we're talking about a wild man, and as Bill said, you know, just just barely non-homo sapien sapien, right? Just barely us, okay? Just maybe a step below of where we are. 
if they are self-aware, which means they know that it's not a good idea to interact with human beings through, you know, through, through past experiences, if they have self-awareness, then the idea of elusivity, you know, to being elusive, that really ups the game at that point because we're dealing with an intelligence that is trying to stay hidden for survival purposes, right? Whenever we put that all together and we talk about the expanses of North America, then it's very easy for these populations to stay hidden if indeed they want to stay hidden. That's the other thing we have to talk about. How many are there, okay? So we know in the grade A population that there's something called a minimal viable population. And it's about 800 whenever you deal with great apes, okay? If you go less than 800 uh, uh, specimens, then you start having inbreeding problems and you have, you know, uh, phenotypical and genotypical um, uh, mishaps going on. But maybe maybe it's 175,000 years ago, maybe even sooner than that, the human population was believed to be down to around 1,900 individuals. At one time, it's been said that we only had about 1,900 Homo sapiens sapiens wandering about. And that was enough to allow for there to be 4 billion people here right now. So one of my things I tell people is if if Bigfoot does exist in a flesh and blood form and there's only 800, 900, 1,000 of them across the expanse of entire North America, we're talking about the lower 48, Canada, Alaska, all that kind of stuff, and they were self-aware and able to communicate, they could stay hidden forever, forever, mm-hmm. um, especially if they have a protoculture as well, too. Uh, they they would be able to stay hidden for absolutely forever. And I mean, there's a, there was a Native American called Ishi. Oh yes. That, you know he didn't come out in California. I mean his his whole tribe his his whole everybody was dead. Mm-hmm. And then he just came out because it was time for him to either survive or not. That's right. And nobody knew he was there, mm-hmm. and had a completely different language. Uh, he ended up working with Saxton uh, Pope uh, and um, Art Young, and you know, you, you think about if if somebody were to from a civilization were to just step out in the middle of New York City, dressed mm-hmm. in deer skin or anything like that, and nobody ever knew it. Well, that's what mm-hmm. Ishii did. He hid because his people were being massacred, and then it was. Okay, I, the only way I can survive now is to to show myself. That's right. That's right. That's right. In Japan, the same thing happened after World War II. There was somebody that thought the war was still going on about fifteen years yes. late after the war. Ended. Yes. No. Yeah. That was on one of the small islands uh, between. Yeah. I, I guess it was really between Midway and Japan. I guess. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. An island that was heavily inundated with fire, you know, with with war, and and heavily bombed and everything like that. He was still able to survive. All right, I got a question for both of you all. If I show you a Bigfoot track, right, and you measure it, can you tell me how tall it is? Uh, I couldn't. The the foot, now you can think of, think of Shaquille O'Neal's got, you know, he's got a big foot, right? Right. But not, you know, my son... My oldest son is right much shorter than I am, but we wear the same shoe size. So to a degree. Now, here's another thing. The hind leg of a black bear 
the hind foot mm. of a black bear is very similar to a human's foot with the impression. Mm. And so you can look at that and you might see one that's 12 inches, which would be approximately a size 10 and a half to 11 shoe with a human. But that thing may tower at seven foot. Well, I got a mathematical formula for you. So if you have a footprint and you measure it, approximately every two inches is approximately a foot tall. So it, if you take, same, right. So right. if you it's take your if, measure between right. the eyes and the alligator, determine how long that is correct. So, and so if you take, so if everybody's listening, if you take your shoe off, you take a tape measure. And look, he's Ronald's. Ronald's already looking at his oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had people on my show jump up, get a tape measure. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> and how we come up with this formula is people measure with street signs, stop signs, right? Measure with sticks, branches that are broken and measured and measure the tracks. And that's how we got the measurements. And it's an average, right? But it gets you approximately the height. So if you ever come across a footprint, this will give you approximate height. So it gives you a good estimation. I and across that. the community, it is usually well known to use that measurement. So it helps everybody out. Wow. So yes. That's pretty cool. That, I have yeah, a well, size 13 foot, though. Yeah. As I was explaining, how the black bear foot can be smaller for that greater height because it's not bipedal. It can stand on two feet, but you're not going to watch it run away on two feet. Right. So, like I said, measure your foot, you know, and, and do the math and see what it comes out to be. What's the largest Bigfoot imprint someone's ever found? Uh, I want to say, uh, Ronald, uh, 23 inches. Yeah, I was going to say about 24 inches. Lauren oh Coleman, you know, God. we'll call those uh, true giants, right? I mean, they're, we're talking about, you know, people have, and of course, this is firsthand accounts, and some people can be wrong and misjudge things, but they talk about seeing creatures as big as 20 feet tall. Now, oh I'm God. not sure if this frame, you know, we're created to carry this frame under certain, you know, variables, like, for instance, you know, the tallest man that ever lived was close to eight foot tall. But there's a lot of problems that come with a creature that walks bipedally and, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, uh, I, I would assume, and I, and I had this uh, an interview with, uh, with uh, Ken Gearhart about this as well, too. He said, logically speaking, the biggest Sasquatch would probably be in the range of the biggest human just because... That's how the biology would work mm -hmm. with this particular structure. And I tend to agree with that as well, too. I think eight feet tall is probably the limit that we could deal with there. And 20 feet tall, I wouldn't even understand how you could hide something that big, you know? Right. And, you know, this, let's look at age in this a little bit, too. Meaning that in, in 1900, that the average lifespan of a human was about 35 years old. Mm -hmm. We didn't have air condition. We didn't have penicillin, you know, um, didn't have refrigeration. Now we, we're living to 76, 77, 78 years old on an average. How old could something like a Bigfoot, a Sasquatch, a Yeti live? Mm -hmm. Now, you know, 
a bear can live 20 years, a deer can live five, you know, before, typically before a deer dies. Um, how, how old could a, because that's going to determine health issues. Like you said, all right, uh, the saber-toothed tiger, the dire wolf, they've recently found out that through the fossil records that these animals were having like hip dysplasia really bad. And that's one thing that may have helped them go extinct. If you're talking about something that's carrying around 400 pounds, if, if you've got something that's eight feet tall and has any, it's not skin and bones, it's going to be 400 pounds or more. Mm-hmm. Their bones have to be strong. Mm-hmm. They're, it, it, you know, uh, their, their health is going to have to be up there. Where are they going to find the food? I mean, they're, That's true. We, we've heard of Bigfoot throwing stones, but we haven't u- heard of them using weapons other than stones. How are they catching a deer? I can't catch a deer. Are, are they scavengers? Mm. Well, allegedly, they're using what they call infrasound is what we're getting reports out in the field in encounters. Oh, wow. So, which is disabling their critters and, and, um, pray. So you see, I like to ask a lot of questions. <laughs> no, no, this is great. This is great. So, you okay, Ron, you know what, guys, I apologize. I am no. going to have to, again, I am so, thankful to be on this show yeah. I, i've got to get some tea or something in my throat no, no ronald I, I, I thank you so much for oh. coming on and i hope you get feeling better sir it was joy. yes before thank i you. came on i want to let everybody know that i'm not just leaving i actually have strep throat and i wanted mm. to try to get through this show and i'm glad that i was but this was a very interesting show guys and i'm flattered that i was aboard here but i'm going to go uh, get some uh, some tea and I'm going to wallow in my man sickness for a while. No. Well, thank you so much, sir. Thank you again. It's a pleasure, you guys. Let's do this again soon, okay? Yes, Definitely. sir. Take care. Nice meeting you guys. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Well, that no. was a pleasure. But now, I mean, that, that, that's actually a good question, you know, because that's that's the reports we get in in the Bigfoot realm uh, is that they use the infrasound. We know that the government uses frequencies and. And that they use it, and uh, the police departments uses uh, uh, first responders uses uh, infrasound too, and their sirens uh, to let people know that they're coming uh, for vibrations. If you have your stereos up, and your body will hear the frequencies, and you'll be like, "What is that?" You know, to feel the vibrations to let you know something's coming. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very interesting. It's it's a good topic. So it's another rabbit hole. So, yeah. Everything's a rabbit hole. Isn't it? I love it. <laughs> the genre we're in, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It is. It really is. Well, well do you have any more questions? We no, but questions? I, I, I definitely, um, I'd like to have you guys back on because this is really fun, actually. Yes, absolutely. Any more questions out there in the audience he's asking? Well, I can go all night with Bill and Ronald, so this is yeah. this is great. Yeah, we definitely got to have you back. Definitely got to have you back. So, yeah, I'll definitely greatly have you on too, Bill. 
it was it been an honor? Danny Stone says, please come back. So, yeah, so absolutely. So, We've got some uh, more interesting stuff. Uh, I mean, we can go into Native American lore. Um, you know, can I do a shameless plug real quick? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes. I, I did a found footage uh, doc documentary, mockumentary called Something Walks in the Woods. It's currently on Tubi. It's going to be um, featured. It's on Vudu also, but it's going to be featured on Vudu in October. I got a notification today and it goes into the native american lore and we're gonna have this gonna be a five film series um awesome so i would mm -hmm. love to talk to ronald about that eventually as well but uh, it's it's got to deal more with the tuscarora indians um and then uh we've got encounters encounters season two will be coming out in november i'm doing an interview i'm going out west october 14th which happens to be my birthday uh, for the, the, uh, for the when's your birthday? When is it? October 14th. That's my son's birthday too. Cool. Great people. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, we have the eclipse on October the 14th out West. So I'm gonna go out West and uh, get some photos and some video of that. But in the, in the process, I'm doing my last interview for season two and um then so season two we're gonna have six people one two three yeah six people and seven episodes where season one was six episodes and five uh interviews and i the way it's going i think i probably will do a season three with it um mm -hmm. i will have the the one off just called encounters not encounters to complete interviews uh where i kind of get more into my thoughts and my story and what has kind of happened with me over the last year as well while mixing in these interviews. And I've got some other uh, stuff that we have from each of the interviews. Like I've got some drawings and some documents. Uh, in fact, Les Durant that was going to be on tonight. Um, he's got some very interesting stuff that we could discuss mm. as well. Um, and then, yeah, so it, I'm enjoying this filmmaking thing and I'm enjoying the subjects I get to film. That's awesome. So how does people get a hold of you if they want to, if you want them to reach you? Well, I'm, I'm on Facebook as Bill Howard. Uh, just look for the ugly bald guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm on Facebook with that. Uh, the name of my production company is Whirly Gig Pictures, W-H-I. R L I G I G um, pictures and where I live is Wilson, North Carolina and our claim to fame is our Worley gig park. And that's kind of how that came to be. Um, so Worley gig pictures at gmail.com for an email. If anybody has a story that they want to share, even if they just want to tell me the story, but they don't want to be on camera and don't want it to go out. I'm all ears because it helps me tie everything in. Uh, mm -hmm. the, these stories are so, so similar. Um, what you see every night uh, that you, you capture outside with the, the cameras is the mm -hmm. same right. thing that, that Les Durant finds. And it's the same thing that Ellen Smith finds. And it's just, it's amazing how this mm -hmm. works. So my, my final interview will be with Ellen Smith and it's going to be in Arkansas she has a spot where she can basically see UFOs every night. And so nice. I'm wow. the interview 
while having the camera on the skies and see if we can capture something while I'm doing the interview. You got to awesome. come to our house. We definitely have stuff every night. Oh, that yeah, she's got some crazy stuff going on over there. I mean, even a Man. portal opened up. It was amazing. Yeah. But it's um it's a deep rabbit hole. It it but it's enough there that can keep you interested because if you have if you want to know you've got something you can research forever. Right. That is true. That is true. Well, that's awesome. Well, Bill, once again, thank you for coming on. We'll definitely have y'all back. That's for sure. Ain't that yeah. right, Lala? Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well ladies and gentlemen, we can do a 24-hour broadcast. Let's do <laughs> hey, it. I've done it. I've done it. I've been an all-nighter. <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, but I've done it. They, the, the people woke up and were like, Grizzly, you're still on here? <laughs> but from coast to coast ladies and gentlemen around the world that's a wrap we'll catch you on the next show y'all have a good night we'll see you take care bye-bye